Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Welcome back to Driven Radio, your weekly automotive escape from the crappy confines of reality. <laughs> I am your host, Brett Hatfield, here with our amazing engineer and co-host, Catfish Groves, Yo. as well as the Indominus Rex of YouTube's Craving Cars, Mr. Corey Pratt. We are Yay. coming to you from the wonderful world of the interwebs because the state says we can't touch each other. No touchy-touchy. No touchy. <laughs> Tell us what you think, what you love, what you want to hear. Send us pics and the story behind your cool car. Uh, you can send that to brett at readthedriven.com. If you send me really cool stuff, I'll put it up on the Driven website at www.readthedriven. Uh, this week, we've got news about a three, Jesus, really, a 3,000-horsepower ultra car. Ooh, Isn't that uh, fun? Do you realize how uh, quick that, that'll evaporate? <laughs> that, that'll, that's what you need for commuting, isn't it? There's not even a skid mark. On that critter. Yeah, it's just a little bit of smoke. <laughs> yeah, the the the, uh, the authorities return a bug splat to your family. This is all we could find. <laughs> we have news about that 3,000-horsepower ultra car. Mm. Uh, major events at Monterey Car Week are taking a pass for 2020. Mm. People are taking advantage of less traffic to exercise their lead feet and ball-bearing ankles. <laughs> and what you can expect from prices uh, on collector cars to do in the near future. And to that end, our special guests this week are Dave Kenny and Greg Ingold of Haggerty, who will be here to talk about the uh, new Haggerty price guide, what's hot, what's not, and what you should be watching out for. Nice. Uh, we got a ton of news to cover this week, so let's get to it. The Project Chaos plans mm. to unveil the 3,000 horsepower Ultra Car, which is, I guess, supercars to hypercars. I guess that's not enough. They got to change it to Ultra. When are we going to run out for run out of uh, uh, adjectives for this? We've got supercars, hypercars, Ultra. When, cars. when everything goes electric, and we won't care. <laughs> do, do we eventually get to Acme Car? Or we well, just, maybe we can call we, it. Do we it, hop over all this crap and go to George Jetson Car? Maybe it's dope. Uh, we could. It's groovy. Jetson Car. I, I don't know. know. It's, well, it, it's jiggy. cool thing is this should be unveiled next year's 2021 Geneva. I have so a thing to say about that though. Don't any SOBs sneeze between now and Geneva in 2021? Oh no! Don't nobody no. sneeze or cough. Dude, NewAtlas.com reports a new car being developed. Uh, under the moniker Project Chaos, by being developed by Spiros Panopoulos. Hey, oh, all right, all right. Hey, that was a lot of practicing before we recorded this. <laughs> well, and that's that's a lot better than I would have done. You know, oh, I, I, I called no, something. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, hold on. I have to say that word too many times. Uh, well, this is obviously is going to be a low production vehicle. Uh, two versions, though, but both being powered by a twin turbo, four liter V10. Ooh. How? Yeah, that's kind of cool. There's not a lot of V10s being used right now yeah. outside of an R. Yeah, but even with that, and I assume it's going to be some variety of hybrid. It would almost have to be. How? That's funny because they don't God's really mention green it. Earth. Do you squeeze so, three thousand horsepower out of a four liter? V10? Well, by using engine parts with aluminum, titanium, and ceramic components combined. 
And this thing's going to rev as high as 12,000 RPM. Oh, my God. 12,000. So we're talking like, what, 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 what do you say? 12,000? Yeah, that's like, that's a racing car. You know? Yeah, exactly. And those aren't no 3,000 horsepower. That's for Not sure. even close. No. Uh, but I have seen some pictures of some of the, which I, I'm assuming are some of the parts being made for this. And even things like the rods and stuff are just the most wickedest thing I've ever seen. Oh, those are the ones it's that kind of like look all loopity goopity. They're kind of like in yeah, aliens. Looks, they look like. It almost be- looks like they made it up. Like this, this yeah. is long. This is not a true thing. But apparently those are just ways of developing these parts to be able to squeeze 3,000 horsepower, I'm assuming. Well, Spiros uh, says that the ultra car is going to be what they're calling their new term needed because of the category being born with this kind of power. Uh, I mean, the for the most part, there's car. nothing that's this advanced out there or even close to it. Uh, so except for the guys who are setting land speed records. The difference with this, this is a road car, so it can go around corners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I had a we'll drink that was that. almost bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the weight's not looking too bad either. They're talking about a two-to-one, so two-to-one ratio meaning uh, kilograms is what it's going by. So Still. basically two horsepower per kilogram. That's two horsepower for 2.2 pounds. That's pretty startling. They are saying, now, hold on, get a grip of this. Uh, you, this you might be surprised at this, but this may require the driver to have special driving skills and better perception of space in order to reach the vehicle's potential. You well, think? Matt, the acceleration on this thing may be up to three Gs. Oh, my that's God. Yeah, that's like a rocket sled. That, that's mad because that's like max G's that you'll reach in like a very, very fast race car in a lateral G. This is three G's in a straight line. Okay. Well, I would, ass- I would assume that there would have to be some, some very, very specific tires and rubber compounds developed to achieve stuff like that. I mean, three um, G's is basically what you get in a funny car at launch on a drag. Yeah, and, and 3,000 horsepower ain't that far off either. And those will get to 300 miles an hour in a quarter mile, so... I'm kind of curious yeah. here. Yeah, well, great commuter car. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get some groceries, folks. Yeah. Oh, got them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not saying that they're fibbing, and I'm not saying that they're stretching the truth. I am saying, however, that I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Geneva so. 2021, here we come. Uh-huh. Yeah, we don't go. sneeze. <laughs> well, if, eh? hopefully Geneva is going to happen. Monterey, not looking great. Uh, the following Monterey Car Week events are still scheduled for 2020 as of uh, recording. Uh, Monterey Car Week mm. kickoff show, the Monterey Pre, uh, Monterey Pre Reunion, Concours on the Avenue, and Carmel by the Sea. I'm really shocked Whoa. that that one's going on. You should see the throngs of people and the close confines there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. Uh, I can show you the pictures that I've taken the last few years I've been there, and you bump into everybody. It'll look like Maybe some they'll creepy be forced to wear masks like people that yeah. are at Costco's are telling their customers they have to. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would. Uh, Prancing ponies, all women car shows still going on. Mika Mata auction still scheduled. Rolex surprised by that one too. Yeah, with all the all the movement, especially uh, as we've talked about before, kind of moving to online situations. I'm really surprised that more of them aren't just shooting straight for that and not worrying about the in-person, but, you know, having now, not been. When they do those auctions them, there, or do they offer online people to, to watch too, or is it just have, you have to be in uh, present? Well, I, I think make them, uh, you know, they've got the deal with NBC Sports, so they uh, are online. But I yeah. think that they've also got an online portal for bidding. I mean, everybody, all the big auctions have. But if you think about it, gooding, RM, 
Worldwide and Russo and Steel have all canceled there. Yeah. And Meekum is the only one left standing. And I can't decide if this is a really ballsy move on their part or just flat irresponsible. I was going to say, I was like, is this kind of a ballsy part or is this a, uh, well, if you think about it, are we here? If you're the only dog, if you're the only dog in the yard, you're the biggest dog in the yard. That's true. And the other thing is look how radically things have changed in the last 30 days for us. And we're talking about what, uh, June, July, middle of August, we're, uh, two and a half months down the road, a lot can change in that time. Maybe, maybe this is a really gutsy move on their part. And they're right at the forefront when things pick back up. I don't know. Time will tell. Yep. Yep. Fingers crossed. Uh, a few of the others that uh, went away, Rolex Monterey Motorsports, Re- or uh, still there, sorry, sorry, Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, Pacific Grove Rotary Concours, Auto Rally, the Works Reunion, and Annual Ferrari Owners Club Gathering. Those are all still scheduled. And, and I, those are some okay. pretty cool events. Yeah. yeah. You start looking down the list of stuff that has said, no, oh, we're not going to do it. God, yeah. These all fell in the last week after, because uh, when we got off uh, the show last week, uh, right after that, I heard about Pebble Beach uh, saying no. Yeah. And every one of these fell since then. Yeah. Bink, bink, bink went the dominoes. So just to, so, yeah. I'll hit up a few because there's a, an S ton of them. The Automobilia Monterey Expo, that's been rescheduled. What's nice is that at least see a number of these have been rescheduled. Porsche Monterey Classic, rescheduled to August. Uh, Classic Motorsports Magazine Monterey Kickoff Cruising, rescheduled to August. Uh, McCall's Motorworks Revival, rescheduled. Little Car Show, rescheduled. McCall's makes me really, really sad. I love that. That is the best party. Now, oh, it's, so it's kind of a party or uh, describe it because I, well, I have no clue it what it is. It's a party at the Jet Center where the elite meet to do whatever, <laughs> where the elite meet to drink and eat. Cars wide um, shut. There you go. The elite meet, drink and well, eat. Well, yeah, it's where it's where Pat and I were walking around, and they didn't have any ropes around it. There was a McLaren Senna sitting out on the tarmac. Corey, what's a Senna go for new? About a million bucks. I, yeah. I think it starts at one point one or two million or something like that. Yeah, and nobody was nobody was guarding it. Nobody was telling you don't get close to it. Nobody was doing a darn thing. You stole the cigarette lighter, didn't you? You stole the cigarette cool. lighter out of it. For uh, Pete's sake. No, it was also sitting in front of a great big light oh, where everybody could see you. Dog on it. <laughs> I, I I couldn't get close to a Senna until I actually got to one where it was a private owner uh, that was okay with it. Other than that. No, they're usually roped off. You can't get from 10 feet for the damn things. Yeah, yeah this thing was sitting there like a rental car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Mark. Yeah. Continue. Oh, that's all good. Uh, Pebble Beach Tour d'Elegance presented by Rolex, rescheduled. Pebble Beach Classic Car Forum, rescheduled. Yada, yada, McYada face. Uh, Gooding & Company's Pebble Beach Auctions, rescheduled. Most of this has been rescheduled Yeesh. to around August, uh, somewhere between the 12th and the 15th. So it looks like a whole lot of this is going to happen around each other, but it's just not going to be the same as, you know, when you're used to the time and the hoopla and the, the excitement and and people waiting for this to happen and ready. And then all of a sudden there it goes. Well, pretty much everybody said, we're just going to do it next year. All this stuff is for 2021 with the possible exception. RM Sotheby's Monterey said new date to be determined, but Along with everyone else, I'm going to assume they're just going to shoot for next year. Yeah, we'll save our money yeah. and hope for yeah, the best. So it sounds like for a lot of them. All you folks that were headed for Monterey this year, and that's myself included and our buddy Ped and everybody else, we all had plans to be there. What we ought to do is take all of our money and stick it in a sock under your bed. No, the other sock. 
and save it for next year. We'll go and we'll have an even bigger party than we would normally. This whole thing is always a really cool event. And obviously this year, not so much. But next year, do you think it'll be back to the same old cool event as the year before? Or would it be even better? I, you know, I don't know because I don't know what the new standard is going to be. I don't know if everybody is going to change how they behave or we're just going to get past it and everybody's going to be grateful and then next year it'll be unhinged but i gotta take you guys with me you have to see how big this is it's a week and a half of just automotive insanity in some of the prettiest parts of the country you've ever seen it really it really is out of control and like i've said the last couple years i come home i've got ferrari lamborghini and mclaren fatigue once we all get through this, and we're all trying to get through it, once we get through all this BS, everybody will be able to relax, and the new, the new standard won't be walking around with your sphincter permanently slammed shut. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> drinking my margaritas out of a, uh, a glove, so I just want you to know that. <laughs> Big damn rubber glove, because I'm going to be safe as heck. Just saying. All right, well, uh, road and track is basically saying people are speeding. Good. So, yeah. Really? All right. Next no. story. No. no. <laughs> Tickets for 100 plus miles per hour are apparently way up in California uh, ever since the lockdown started. Um, Highway Patrol basically has has seen about 87% increase in tickets issued to speeding over 100. <laughs> oh, my God. It's almost doubled. <laughs> so even though the traffic has plummeted, it's just making the ones on the road drive that much faster. Well, hey, sure. nobody's around. I can do what I want. That's right. Uh, New York is now <laughs> issuing twice as many daily speeding tickets uh, since the sh- shutdown as well, uh, even though the traveling has decreased there 92%. So that's uh, that's Dang. huge. So twice as many tickets, but down uh, 92% of the people on the road. That's kind of interesting. What does that make the percentage of people speeding? Like well, I mean, That means the 8% who are left out there are just doing whatever the, they're doing the road warrior thing. I know here where we're at, I've gone down the highway, I'm going 80, and I've got everybody passing me still. And I'm like, just anybody. I'm getting passed by Priuses, oh, okay? I, I was doing 85 down I-35 the other day, and I had a school bus pass me up. Oh, there. sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. It was empty. Well, it was making good time. Well, uh, California, the, the Highway Patrol has issued 2,493 tickets in, in the month following the uh, stay-at-home order. <laughs> I hate to say it this way. So it looks like traffic is down, which means the roads aren't getting tore up as much, but yet the money revenue is up. Crazy, huh? Now, keep an eye on your rearview mirror. Somebody might really be flying up behind you. Road and Track had an article this week about how the coronavirus has impacted the price of collector cars. And some of the things that they were citing is... Uh, you know, when you lock guys like us up and you don't let us go do anything and we don't get to go play with our cars and we don't get to hang out or do anything else, some of us idiots will sit in front of the computer and think, hmm, maybe this is my chance to find a once-in-a-lifetime deal, Mark. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Quit looking at me. Quit looking. It's like being the preacher in the front row on Sunday morning. <laughs> Every single he's talking about I did last night. Dang. I, and as a result, online auctions are still running because there's not you know, people are doing face-to-face, but they're reaching record highs while so many people are stuck at home. Person-to-person sales are still possible in most states, too. That's also good for you, Mark. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but special interest cars, for special interest cars, the rarity tends to support their values even in the bad economy. 
So while new car sales are way, way down because dealerships are closed, uh, the collector car auctions and collector car sales seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, Kenneth on the president of RM Sotheby's uh, was speaking about the company's online only Palm beach auction that they had and uh, said that they had similar sell through rates as they did before the virus lockdowns uh, and their in-person events, which is pretty impressive for online only. He says that you, you see the values drop across the board when the economy sours, but that hadn't happened at the time of the Palm Beach auction. And, but he does expect it to happen eventually. Uh, but tr- uh, the transaction volumes uh, often go up early in a recession, uh, driven by owners who are forced to sell quickly and opportunistic buyers who are, uh, push down the average prices. Uh, he says you're unlikely to see a true collapse in the collector car market, though. Uh, what happened uh, with the recession about 10 years ago was that collector cars took on a new importance for investors when stocks went south and real estate went south and so many of the things that used to be considered blue chip investments were no longer performing. A lot of guys got into collecting cars. And one of the upsides of that is uh, collector cars never have a zero value. They're always going to have some residual value. And, you know, your stocks can go completely south and be worth nothing. The company can fold up and go out of business. Uh, we saw what happened with real estate and so many people being upside down and having so much of that collapse. The collector cars never do that, which is neat for guys like us. We seem to be able to justify buying all this crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2008, man. If I, if I'd had a nickel to my name in 2008, oh, oh God, boy. there were so many, you would be five cents richer. <laughs> there were so <laughs> many vehicles that were wonderful out there and we're all in my you know in my ballpark but uh no i i clenched up like everybody else did at that time <sighs> missed out well uh, dietrich hot lava who is a founder of an automotive investment research firm called the historic auto group international uh said you could say that your, your collector car cannot go bust there's another Great. firm called rally that trades shares of collector cars as a financial asset class and they say they still haven't seen things drop, uh, although the experts at at Hagi and RM Sotheby's and Rally all agree prices will likely fall uh, later in the year. But even at the extremely high end of the market, values tend to drop during a crisis. Uh, so stuff like 62 Ferrari 250 GTOs. They will go down a little bit, maybe not those specifically, but higher end cars like that, seven and eight figure cars will take a bit of a hit. Uh, but Colin Comer, who's Haggerty's valuation editor, said the meat of the market, the sub $500,000 cars, and especially sub $100,000 cars are holding strong right now. And all of this is just kind of leads us into our guests this evening. Uh, we've got Dave Kinney and Greg Ed in gold of Haggerty here with us tonight to talk about the new price guide, uh, the new cool. surprises they found in it, things that have gone up a lot, things that went down a little bit, and what we should probably be looking to hold on to or maybe find a bargain on coming up next on Driven Radio.
Hey, welcome back to Driven Radio. Uh, we've got a couple of really cool guests tonight. We've got uh, Dave Kinney and Greg Ingold of Haggerty. Uh, Dave's a lifelong automobile enthusiast and a collector, and he currently owns cars from six, so the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 2000s. Apparently, he hopped over the 90s, couldn't find anything he liked. <laughs> He's also the owner of U.S. Appraisal, an automotive valuation firm, and accredited senior appraiser with the American Society of Appraisers. Dave writes for the British magazine Octane, uh, as well as Haggerty Insider, and he's the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide, which he founded in 2006. Dave also serves on the board of the Rolls-Royce Foundation and, oh, my favorite, the McPherson College Advisory Board. Greg is the associate editor of the Haggerty Price Guide. He's been an avid car enthusiast since he found his calling, uh, and he's been working for Haggerty since 2012. Greg's been part of the Haggerty Valuation Team since 2014. He's an avid Pontiac enthusiast. Good boy. Good man. <laughs> and uh, drives a 69 Pontiac Grand Prix uh, oh. when the northern Michigan season will allow. Gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, how are you both managing to keep your sanity while we're all locked up and not allowed to go do anything fun? Well, I'll go first. Uh, I have this habit of starting businesses, and uh, I've got the weirdest business plan ever, and I told my wife I was only going to invest $500 into uh, figuring out whether it's going to be worthwhile or not. And uh, currently, I'm at four hundred and ninety-four dollars. So uh, <laughs> I, I might have to I might have to go and ask for an extension. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it's something that won't take any time. It's just a fun, you know, hobby business that uh, won't won't amount to much. But I'll have fun with it. And I, all I can tell you is, it's mildly sports related. Mildly sports related. So Mild, you're, okay. you're gambling. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, Wink. There's nothing to gamble on right now. I mean, you know, uh, but, you know, they were saying, I guess, check, uh, you know, table tennis maybe or something like that. But, uh, How about you, Greg? What are you doing instead of the car stuff you usually be doing? Oh, uh, I mean, been getting a lot, been getting out a lot and, uh, you know, exercising more, uh, you know, biking, hiking a, li a little bit more. Um, I'm not an avid reader, but I'm uh, you know, forcing myself to get back into that to uh, um, pass some time. But, uh, you know, work keeps us really busy, so uh, I'm, I'm staying pretty busy. Do you guys think we'll be able to recover any part of our summer car events and activities? It's going to be rough. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, June is gone. Uh, July is only partially there. I mean, think about this. It takes so much time to put everything together except for our cars and coffee. Um, sure. You know, I mean, you need permits. You need invites. You know, some of these things have seats and tickets and things like that. So it, it gets really, really rough. So that timeline keeps on moving back all the time. Um, it's sad. Uh, I mean, you know, the cool thing is that there's absolutely nothing to keep you from getting in your car and driving somewhere. And as we all know, people have you know called their buddies up and say, Hey, I'm going to go drive around the beltway or I'm going to go you know, up 95 or I'm going to go out at I 70, you know, for whatever. And, uh, you go, uh, you stop at a gas station, you fill up and you come back. Um, you know, uh, it's not the same, but it is, it is having fun in your car. So that's okay. You know, we were talking just before we went on, and I'm wondering if you think it was premature to cancel most of it, Monterey. Uh, is it irresponsible for the other events that are soldiering on? 
Greg, you want to take that? I'll uh, I'll follow yeah. in with my opinion. But yeah, so I mean, I, I think that it was the right call for uh, for Pebble to cancel. I, if if you really think about it, there's a lot of cards that come in from overseas, and these uh, these guys are getting ready to put their cards in containers, so they they need an answer now. And you know, we're still taking it week by week, and uh, who knows what's going to happen in August, or uh, you know, if it's still going to be safe to have uh, these events in August. So I, I think that they made the right call. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on what Greg said in in that case because think about the average person going to Pebble. I mean, it, it's not a 30 year old; it's somebody uh, you know the you know quote important people who bring the quote important cars you know, have been there 20 times before, and they might be in there. 60s, 70s, 80s, or even past that, uh, and they're not going to take a risk with going out right now. I think that's you know that's a big problem. So um, you know, once again, they don't know if they're even going to be allowed to do it because you know if it's only 50 people events or if it's only a thousand people event, um, you know they'd lose a they'd lose their shirt on, on an sure. event like that. It's just not going to happen. The sponsors you know don't want to pay you know x hundred thousand dollars to to just have a thousand people there. And, you know, you're only going to sell, uh, you know, what, uh, if you have a thousand people there, you're only going to sell about, uh, 480, uh, $19 hot dogs on the lawn. So, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you gotta, gotta think of the, yeah. the economics. As far as the collector car world is concerned, uh, what in your opinion will be the big effect of the virus and the subsequent economic cooling? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, we're still playing this one out. I, I think that we're still filling it out. I mean, um, got some news from dealers uh, as of a few hours before we went on here. And uh, one of the dealers here in Michigan saw their best month. And uh, Michigan is one of the more locked down states at the moment. So the fact that a uh, collector car dealership in Michigan having uh, just a doorbuster month that's phenomenal. Even though it's an uncertain time, people are still buying cars. So I, I think that uh, just wait and see what happens. Yeah, I'd take it back a step. I mean, I, I you know, you, you got to feel bad. And I certainly do feel bad for those people who have lost their job and they have a great deal of economic uncertainty. But that's not everybody. And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are wealthy who have money and they're bored. Uh, they're sitting at home and, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of options right now to buy. They can't go to... Uh, you know, the uh, anything but the online sales. So that's why uh, we all know that Bring a Trailer is doing very, very well right now. And even Hemmings, which has, you know, been a little stalled, um, they're doing well with their online auctions too. So, uh, you know, it's it's not that people have decided they don't want to, um, you know, play with cars. Uh, there will be people at the, you know, at whatever end and wherever that effect comes in. If you're losing your job, you're not going to probably go buy a car. You might try and hang on to your car, and you could possibly sell it. But one thing that's real important to say is we haven't seen any panic selling. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be in some quarters, and some people get really, you know, kind of uh, uh, upset that they can't get an unrealistic number for their car that would have been appropriate in 2014, and they might call it a panic sale, but I'd call it a retail sale. So, um, you know, uh, it's it's you know, we're not in the happiest of markets to begin with. It was always a, a good but not great market that we were heading into this in the classic car world uh, compared to 2014, which was 2014-15 was our apex. But yeah. um, apart from those people who don't have the money to buy cars, I think we still have a real vibrant uh, group of people who are out there who are going to be doing things. And keep in mind, 
every time something like this happens, it creates more jobs. I know that's silly to say at this point, but uh, think about the people who sell bollards and they sell safety equipment and they sell barriers and things like that. That business just absolutely boomed, um, you know, after a, you know, a, a national disaster event. And there'll still be something that, uh, that comes along with this. And we don't know yet what that is. Um, but, but there will be that something there could be, you know, uh, large, uh, large manufacturers have to tear their plants down and, and put them back together. So people can stand six feet apart if that's going to be the new normal. So whatever it is, there's always opportunities. Speaking of bringing a trailer, uh, do you think that with the success that some of the traditional person to person auction or in-person sales are seeing now that they're doing strictly online only. Do you think more of them will adopt a bring a trailer type approach or more of them will put uh, and uh, greater emphasis on doing everything online? Well, it's, it's change or die. Uh, I'm very, very surprised that some of the auction companies haven't invested in that platform and have invested heavily in it. Um, you know, you get a lot more people and, you know, it's frustrating for those who like those of us who like to go to the auction realize that some guy in a computer sitting in his house, uh, you know, in his jammies is bidding on that $38,000 car that you desperately want. And uh, you might know more about it than he does. But for him, it's, you know, it's sport. And, uh, you know, he's going to raise it another $1,000 just because, you know, damn it, he wants it. Uh, But, uh, you know, that happens in in live auctions, too. Um, But, you know, they've got to go with a platform. They have to have more of a vibrant platform. I mean, kudos to RM Sotheby's. They're the ones who, you know, they changed on a dime. And their South Florida sale last month, uh, you know, it was a 67% sale. Nothing nothing wrong with that at all. Um, You know, I said in an article in the Haggerty Insider that it was, uh, you know, like buying a car when the third floor, uh, you know, the third floor of the place was on fire back then. I mean, we really didn't know what was going on. But they did 67%. So God love them. They, they, They twisted and made it happen. Uh, that was a strong showing for them. Okay, so the Haggerty Price Guide comes out three times a year, and you guys work hard and do tons of research, not only on auctions, but just from every source you can find, uh, particularly people who are applying for insurance with Haggerty. Uh, what's new in the Price Guide this time around? Uh, who are the big winners and who are the big losers? Greg, you want to start off? Yeah, so um, some of the new stuff that, uh, that you'll see is, um, <clears throat> might not be in the physical printed book, but we have uh, probably about double the coverage on our online tool uh, on Haggerty Valuation. If you go out to the valuation tools, we've got a lot of trucks, and we keep adding to that because that is that seems to be the, uh, the hottest segment of the market, and that focus keeps shifting newer and newer, so we're keeping up with that. Um, as far as the book's concerned, yeah, I mean, affordable cars, that's, uh, that seems to be where we've been spending a lot of attention, and uh, they're doing well. Some of our, uh, uh, just to go back a bit, the, uh, the Hegarty valuation tool is driven by the book. Uh, the valuation tool has more information in it than the, than the printed price side does, and you can get to that Hegarty.com valuation tool. It's pretty easy. Our biggest winner of this book was a... Uh, uh, 75 to 80 Volvo 244. So you can tell it's performance, performance, <laughs> performance. Um, that, yeah. went up, that went up 57%. So uh, oh my. That's a, 
Yeah, that's a big, big jump. Carmen Gia's jumped as well. They're up, uh, what is that? Uh, looks like 32%. Yeah. Um, so that's not surprising. I think the Volvo was more of a surprise. Um, yeah, you know, as, as we like to say, the brick, the car that's still in the box that it came with. <laughs> and, um, uh, no surprise here, the uh, one-year-only 93 uh, Mustang Cobra R. Um, you know, there's not a lot of those out there and they're great cars and they're up uh, 25%. So Didn't they produce are, just over a hundred of those? A hundred and six or yeah. about seven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's proven to be the car to have from that generation. And I, I think that any serious Mustang collector is going to want to have them. So they're, you know, there's still some brand new in the wrapper cars. Um, and you know, they sell for big money. I mean, there were two at uh, Bear Jackson in January from what I remember. Um, so, you know, they're around, but they won't be around for too long. Um, I would imagine not. Yeah. Yeah. So those are good ones. Who ate it? What went down? Uh, Hey, I'll I'll give this one to you. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. So some of the, some of the big blue chip cars really, uh, saw a cooling, um, the 57 through 59, 250 Cal Spider, the long wheelbase, uh, cars. Those, uh, went down about, uh, 20, yeah, 24%. Oh my. Wow. That's yeah. that's big dollars on one of those. Well, that's yeah, a, that's that that's a long the long wheelbase. The short wheelbase didn't get hit anywhere near as bad. So yeah, who knows? Still, that's uh, that's big money on one. I'm quite sure. Uh, can, if can you we, own a '57 to '59, can, can, can we just have a moment of silence for the guys whose cars went from 12 million down to 12 million? I mean, down to 10 million. I mean, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, exactly. Oh. You know. My you can see my tears here on Zoom, right? right now. Back. <laughs> I'll, I'll feel real bad for him as I go out and polish my 60 Corvette. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, on, on the upside, though, the, the cars that uh, that tend to lose the most the quickest tend to gain it back the quickest as well once things turn around. So there, there's sure. a silver lining in that. Um, big surprise here, uh, the Buick Riata has lost 25%, which uh, probably accounts for about $2. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say they weren't worth a ton to start with. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's the cost of replacing the radio in the car because, you know, everyone <laughs> has to has to remove their, you know, their Buick Riata infotainment system, I guess. But, uh, um, you know, those cars are incredibly electronics heavy for their age. And very very hard to keep on the road. They're great cars. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them at all. I like them. But well, uh, yeah, like, but we all know how well uh, aging electronics do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's that's the problem with a lot of cars. It's just that more expensive cars. If you have that electronics in a you know same year Ferrari, you're going to invest the money uh, because the car is worth you know maybe eighty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Let's say. Um, so you you want to invest the money, but when your cars four grand to six grand to eight grand, and it's going to cost four grand to fix it. Uh, maybe it's time that it's going to become a planter in your wow. front lawn. Yeah. So. What, a th- what a thought. All right. For the Haggerty big list, uh, is there anything new to the list and did anything fall off of the list? See our, our big list of, uh, you know, just big cars right now. Um, you know, I, I think the, the ones that are, kind of the hot and up and coming. I've been looking a lot at uh, 90s pickups, 90s SUVs, 80s yeah. pickups and SUVs. Those are um, those have uh, all of a sudden kind of gained that uh, magical uh, collector status to a lot of people. I mean, you get into mid-90s and you might take a bit of convincing with some people, but uh, 
all of a sudden, you know, you start looking at 88 to 89, 90 Chevy pickups, uh, you know, that's a update from the square body. And uh, there's some surprising uh, prices uh, for trucks. Yeah. GMC typhoons, uh, you know, the, Mm -hmm. um, that sort of things become really, really big. They were built to be kind of collector vehicles. Um, and, but a lot of them got used and used up, but, uh, so, uh, a lot of the 90s stuff is coming in there, but there's some really interesting phenomena now. And, and I'm sure you've talked about it before and seen it, but it used to be kind of, there was a, a kind of a non-enforced 25 year rule for when cars, you know, would sure. maybe get to the bottom. And that's long gone because there's a lot of cars that manufacturers have finally, finally figured out that you can't put. Uh, paint stripes and uh, you know all kinds of tape on it and you know tack on a spoiler and call it a special edition um, after they leave the showroom you know the rest of the guys the the people who kind of matter around the car world realize it's just a, a you know a tape and stripes package but uh, now the manufacturers a number of the European ones are coming out with real special editions maybe it has 16 more horsepower maybe it has 60 more horsepower whatever and yes, a lot of times yeah. those cars are the ones that uh, they go instantly into collectible status. Now that's a, you know, that's a basket that you can't overfill. And I think a couple of manufacturers have tried to overfill it, but um, um, you know, right there, we've got a, uh, a number of cars from the 2000, 2010s that are uh, becoming collectible. Yeah. I've kind of been waiting for you guys to say that my O3 Ford Harley F one fifty is suddenly worth tons of money and everybody should get one. How much time you got? <laughs> Just hang on to that. Well, <laughs> All the time it uh, takes. Fortunately, O3 seemed to be uh, kind of the tail end for Ford's sweet spot on the F-150. I think that truck will run long enough to get there. And that's the uh, that's the one with the uh, Lightning uh, engine in it, isn't it? The, the yes, little... it is. Yeah, so, I mean... They are everything that uh, makes a lightning cool just without the badge or without the lightning badge on it. I, I think that they're going to come around a lot quicker than the rest of that market for you know those Ford trucks. What should we be hanging on to? Cars you love. Yeah. Well, be, beyond that answer, um, if you've got anything that is Japanese sports car related, let's go back to trucks and SUVs. Uh, if, if you've got that and it's – Good, well taken care of, no questions, good service records. Uh, I, I think that they're worth hanging on to. They're going to be a lot of fun to, to hang on to. They're going to be relatively easy and cheap to fix. And uh, at the end of the day, the popularity keeps going up. I mean, guys my age and you know, in their 20s and 30s, they're, uh, they're hot for that sort of stuff. And I don't see that, uh, that desire going away. Performance cars, I would say, are still going to be, you know, the number one. Um, you know, there's always the, you know, the, 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 you know, the Mercedes long roofs, the wagons, things like that are, are probably going to remain hot. They're already a collector item. They went from being the, you know, for the greasel guys, the guys who put, uh, you know, uh, put uh, French fry grease in their cars so they could ultra mile them. They've become now, you know, almost a little bit under the um, uh, Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Uh, you know, from the late 80s, something like that, or the mid to late 80s, I guess. Um, but uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I can't emphasize how important it is to, to, to buy and keep what you love. If you don't use it, if you're not yeah. having fun with it, you know, get rid of it. But, um, you know, if you want to buy something for appreciation, um, you know, just take a look at what it's done in the past. Find out if it's at that low, low level and find out if you, A, fit in it. 
Um, there's at least two of us here who don't fit into the audience. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, uh, I mean, there's, there's stuff like that that people sometimes overlook. Uh, but also, uh, uh, you know, I mean, go with the, the ones that already have a track record. Maybe you're starting a track record or, um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, an SL Mercedes, uh, you know, all the SLs are valuable cars. It's just that some of them are so worn out. Um, that they don't yeah. have much left in them. So, um, you know, and if you can wrench on the car, that's a thousand times better than if you can't, but don't let it stop you. Um, you know, we always say buy the nicest one of whatever example you can. And, and nowadays it's, it's more important than ever. Um, but, um, you know, have fun. As an aside, I have to thank Dave. He and I at a breakfast last year in Monterey had a fantastic conversation about, hey, we don't fit in everything, but here's what's cool that we do fit in. Right. And I found out there's a Ferrari I fit in. Oh my God! <laughs> Six twelve Scalietti. Yeah. See, see, and I, and I have I have a similar problem. Only I'm six foot five, so uh, the oh, no. if I get in a Miata, then I'm actually looking over the uh, windshield. Yes, you are. So yes, you are. Yeah. yeah your forehead turns into a June bug catcher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I, uh, I I tried an S two thousand, and that was even worse. <laughs> way back oh, in the day, I, way back in the day, I had a Ford Ranger, and uh, uh, this was probably I don't oh, know yeah. eighty nine or ninety. And uh, I will clean up for uh, for broadcast what my friend said, but he was following behind me. I didn't know it, and uh, he calls me. I pick up my phone and I said hello, and he goes, "You look like a weeble in that truck." <laughs> <laughs> and oh. that was that was the last Ranger I had. That's when I got my first F one fifty. He was right. I was uh, yeah. I was fill, filling up more than my share of that uh, you know uh, uh, bench seat in that thing. So you know, hey, be, killer. being a car lover can be tough for a man of larger carriage. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So. And I speak I speak from experience. All right, so we're getting into the fun stuff now, you guys. For each of you, what was your first car? All right, so my first uh, my first car was an '89 uh, Chevy pickup. It was a uh, it was a mechanic special that uh, had a blown engine. My dad and I swapped the engine in the driveway when I was 16 years old and uh, drove it, I crashed it, and then replaced it with an '82 Olds '98 Regency. <laughs> well, wow. Bubba, did that come from your grandparents or? Uh, relative? No, no. I, Somebody I, I else old? Saw it, I saw it sitting on the side of the road, and I said, you know, that would be, uh, you know, it's interesting <laughs> and uh, might make a cool sleeper someday. And then uh, once about, about the time that I was about ready to modify it, I crashed it. So. Oh, that no. 82 Olds 98 Regency, that car's got more ugly on it than a Rolling Stones group photo. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Googling uh, it right what now. engine was oh, in wow. that one? Did it have the 3.8 in it, or is that not? Is that, that too one early? Had, that one had a 307. Okay. I was really okay. hoping he'd tell us it was one of the 350 diesels. <laughs> um, I've owned one of those. We'll never oh. do that again. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Remember when every single car Olds made was Cutlass or some variation on Cutlass? Yeah, yeah that's all Cutlass it had. Sierra <laughs> Cutlass, Cutlass Supreme. I, you know, I'm sorry, Cutlass mine was, was a Supreme Brome. I mean, it was yeah, Supreme Brome. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, didn't want. Yeah, it. <laughs> and even more Cutlass to it. How about you, Dave? What was the first car? Well, keeping in mind that you can probably take any of your two ages and add them together, and that's my age, <laughs> um, uh, my very first car was five cars. 
Um, everybody says it, uh, you know, I, I tell everybody it was a Studebaker Avani, but it really wasn't. Um, my first car was five 1968 Plymouth Valiants from District Disposal Service. I live outside of Washington, <laughs> D.C. And they were, um, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't laugh. These were executive cars. Um, and they Ooh, had uh, rubber like floor mats. They did have automatic. Uh, that was it. They had automatic. They had an AM radio, too. And I bought all five of them, and my dad, you know, financed the deal. And the five total cost was two thousand dollars. So, <laughs> do the math; they were like four hundred bucks a piece. So, uh, anyhow, I fixed them up. My my mechanical skills are, uh, let's just say, limited, but my detailing skills are pretty good. Uh, four of them were white, and one of them was brown. I sold the brown one to my sister, and she's still speaking to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, I sold one to some, you know, uh, lucky bastard. I don't remember who. And then I traded the other three for my first real car, which was a Studebaker Avani. I had to trade plus some cash. But I wow. made a couple hundred bucks, so I was able to afford my Avani. My first R2 four-speed supercharged Avani was uh, 2100 oh,2100 bucks. Oh my gosh. Uh, that was it. Uh, that, that is a cool card. All righty. Uh, for each of you, what's in your collection right now? Uh, currently, I've got a 69 Pontiac Grand Prix, uh, just the J model, um, 400, uh, 350 horse. Um, just a nice driver quality car. Yeah. Uh, had it for a little while. It's a lot of fun. Uh, only thing in the stable right now. Um, I'm going to have to do the guiltiest charge. I have more Studebaker Avani's than uh, anybody should have. I have, I have from train wrecks to show cars. So uh, you know, some of them really don't count. Wow. Um, but uh, I do have a couple of show cars, and I have a couple really, really important Avani's. Um, I have two prototypes, and then oh, I have wow. a an '85 convertible that I bought new. One of three convertibles that they made on the old chassis. Um, then I also have um, uh, a Volvo 123 GT, which is the rally edition of the 122. It's a made 1500 of it car. Uh, that one's on the short list to sell. I have a 73 Cougar convertible that my mother bought new, and she passed away in 76. And so the car's been mine since 76. Uh, and I'm just not getting the enjoyment out of that, so I'm going to sell that one soon. It's a you know one-family-owned 24,000-mile car. Um, and then, uh, I've recently bought the Ferrari Scaglietti, like I said, the, um, the 612, a 2005, uh, and because I knew it would depreciate, it's actually gone up in value, which is, you know, kind of strange. Uh, and then the car of my dreams was, uh, in 2015, I went to, uh, a Bentley event and I was, a you know, on the journalist track down there and, uh, uh they let me drive a, uh, 123 GT, which is one of 300 for the world and one of, uh, 99 for the United States is the homologation car for the GT3 series. And last year I, uh, well, let's put it this way. Um, the finance company and I, uh, decided to buy one. And so, uh, uh I, they're all white, ex- all, they're all white except for the ones that aren't and mine's black. And, uh, mine was originally owned by David Spade. So as my wife says, two names, two people named David, Two jerks named David. Are the only two, people <laughs> <around> it. <laughs> two jokers. Yeah, but uh, but it's 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 the for me it's the ultimate car. I mean, it's one of those things that you know the first time I got in it, I won't tell you how fast I drove, but let's put it this way: I was driving at 110 miles an hour and said, 
what the hell? I'm going to get the same ticket if I'm doing all the way. So uh, yeah, I put my foot into it on the uh, expressway outside of uh, Circuit of the Americas. And um, I forgot the whole, uh, you know, the whole uh, uh, physics of it, that 19 miles of this, uh, of this, uh, you know, expressway goes really, really fast. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, there's the, the, you know, it's the, it's the end of the road comes a lot sooner than you think. But uh, I, I brought it back into uh, the Bentley Press people. The exhaust sounded like it was making popcorn um, <laughs> and, uh, and pulled into the place. And I said to the guy, I said, I'm going to own one of these. And they said, oh, would love to sell you this one right now. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll wait till the appreciation curve sets in a little. Uh, so, and I just renewed the warranty on it. And the warranty cost so much more than the first dozen cars that I bought. Oh my I God. can't even tell you, but a two-year wow. warranty, uh, you know, on a Bentley like this, when you know your calipers can cost the cost cost a, a third of the price of a new F one fifty, it's worth the money. So, absolutely. I'm very happy. Yep. All right, this is the the best question. That's why it's the last question for each of you. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Uh, let, let's see. The dumbest thing I'll admit to, uh, is, <laughs> so I, I had a, um, I had a 1992 full size blazer that I had, um, modified reasonably, or at least as modified as a you know, early twenties, uh, you know, would consider I'd do four, 400 small block swapped and you know, a couple other things to make it a little faster. And, um, Decided, what the heck, I'll, I'll take it over to the drag strip to see what it'll do. So we've got an eighth-mile drag strip, about 45-minute drive from here. Took it out there, did the, uh, you know, did my thing, and, um, you know, on a test and two night, racing the guys in the Hondas and you know, everything else like that. Did my pass. I was like, okay, you know, this isn't as impressive as I wanted. It's very humbling, but uh, on the way back, my... Uh, my truck started humming really, really bad. And uh, a couple days later, it didn't go away. Decided, what the heck? Sounds like it's coming from the, uh, it's, it sounds like it's coming from the axle. So I pulled the diff cover and all of the factory gov lock and part of my gear set was laying in the bottom of the diff from, oh, no. from the burnout <laughs> slash, uh, you know, VHT extra grip there. So I, I totally shredded my rear end. All righty, Dave. Well, I bet you I've got one of the better stories. Um, Keep in mind. We're all ears, baby. (laughs) All right. Keep in mind, this was a different age, and uh, uh, I bought a 250 GTE Ferrari, and I paid $5,250 for it. And this was a running, driving car. Like I said, I'm old. Um, I took it to the detail shop, and I had a garage that was on top of a hill. And um, brought it back from the detail shop. It was running really, really good. I had the car sold. A guy was flying out, as a matter of fact, from Kansas City two days from then to buy the car. I just wanted to look good for it, for him. And parked at the top of the hill. I thought I'd put it into gear. I put the handbrake on. I got out of the car, walked down the hill, and guess what followed me like a dog? Uh, (laughs) A... A Ferrari so. 250 GTE. Well, I got on the phone. I won't. Uh, I won't tell you my feeling, but uh, you know they. You know they. 
uh, you know, I knew I, I had a loss in the car at this point. I just absolutely knew. I, I think I'd sold it for 6700 to the guy or 6900 something like that. And uh, I called him and I said, I have really bad news and, and I don't know what to tell you, but uh, uh, I just wrecked the Ferrari. And he said, well, how bad is it? Now, keep in mind, there was no way to send him a picture of it. Uh, you know, FedEx was a thing, but, you know, it was going to take me <laughs> – you know, two days to get the film developed and all that sort of stuff. So I described it to him. I said, I crunched the left front fender. Um, the grill had been and took a hit as well. Uh, the headlight, the headlight rim, the, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I don't remember. I think there might've been a side marker light on that, uh, but I'm not sure. Um, and he said, is it still drivable? And I said, well, I know I can take a crowbar and pull whatever's rubbing on the tire away from the tire far enough that it would be drivable. And he said, what do you have in it? And I said, well, I'm looking at this stuff right now. I think I've got 56, you know, 25 in it, something like that. And he said, well, if you sell it to me for that, I'll take it. And I was like, what? And um, that car became one of the very first GT foes. Uh, His intention was to uh, sell the body off of the car and make it into a fake GTO. And uh, so that car still lives and breathes. Um, it's now a, you know, uh, probably $450,000, I'm sorry, a, uh, probably a $1,200,000 uh, GTO right now, or fake GTO, maybe it's more than that, I don't even know. Um, but uh, <laughs> so it had a happy ending. I know he parted out the body. There are a lot of valuable parts in that. And uh, I don't know what he paid for the uh, paid for the thing, but he drove it home to Kansas City, and I lived at the time in Arlington, Virginia. So um, wow. uh, quite a story. I mean, that was uh, that was what I thought was going to be the end of a five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars Ferrari, and it and it lives and breathes and has been tracked since then. So it's got that a is staggering. Yay. That is yeah. absolutely amazing. We've been speaking with Dave Kenny and Greg Engold of Haggerty about the newest Haggerty Price Guide state of. Uh, the market and all the other fun stuff with car guys like to talk about. Uh, the price guide is in mailboxes and online as we speak. You can find all the social media links for Haggerty, for Dave and Greg on readthedriven.com. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. We really look forward to having you back in a few months when the new guide comes out. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook at Driven Radio Show, on Twitter and Instagram, also at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I'm Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt and Catfish Groves. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.